did some yard work. The kids, quote, helped with it, <laughs> which is like they push a broom and a rake and usually bring leaves back into the yard. But you know what? They're, they're trying. <laughs> when you're deciding who gets to push the broom around and who gets to push the rake around, do you use this whole discernment process for that? Oh, no. It's every man for himself. It's... <laughs> My name is Tony Vicenda. I live in Philly where I work as a missionary, speaker, and I run a small company called Catholic Bomb. My name is Bobby Angel. I'm a teacher, campus minister in California with my wife and crazy children. And even though we do all those things, again, first and foremost, we are sons, husbands, fathers, and brothers. So one of the things Tony and I have been talking about over the last year is how to help men live lives of virtue, follow God's will, and find a brotherhood together. So this year on this podcast, Bearded Virtue, we're building this conversation based around Bobby's amazing new book, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, and then following it up with monthly conversations about how we can live virtuous lives. I'm excited to break down the book with you all and get some other special guests on to talk about the process and how you can make a decision with God and and get living. So let's get into it. Bobby, how's it going? Good, dude. How are you doing? It's been a week for everybody else. But it's been three hours for us. How was how was breakfast? Breakfast was great. Did some yard work. The kids quote helped with it, <laughs> which is like they push a broom and a rake and usually bring leaves back into the yard. But you know what? They're they're trying. <laughs> when you're deciding who gets to push the broom around and who gets to push the rake around, do you use this whole discernment process for that? Oh no, it's every man for himself. It's <laughs> Whoever gets to whatever device first. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, our almost two-year-old, he really likes the blower, but he's also terrified of it. So <laughs> he like... It also, it also pushes him back a little bit when he's yeah, using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's cute. How are you doing? Uh, good, good. I was just telling you, I was, I'm, I'm working right now on the beard bomb that we're going to have for the Nazarite challenge. If you haven't checked it out, you can get a catholicbomb.co slash Nazarite to check out the actual specific stuff we have for the Nazarite challenge this year. But it's a blend called Desert Father, which we're actually in the middle of building out as a potential aroma to, um, for the Franciscan friars of the Holy Spirit as their kind of free aroma that we're going to send them on the regular so that they can all have, uh, have it just kind of on tap whenever they need it as a gift from us to them, but we're going to make it available to everyone um, as part of the Nazarite challenge this year. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I love messing around with desert shrubs um, as as different aromas because it takes a little bit more uh, to kind of infuse them. And we just moved in here in Philadelphia, so I'm still rearranging everything in the ballroom. room figuring out where things go, how things work. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good productive morning as far as, um, all that goes. So, um, let's talk about choosing between two good things. Like this week we're talking about kind of, uh, last week we talked about seeking, right. Kind of understanding the, the, the core thing that was tugging at our heart, uh, focusing on kind of the understanding of our heart, understanding identity and stepping out past fear. Uh, this week we're, we're going to take kind of, kind of continue on and build on that, with is it search and discern is that what we're going to focus on this week yeah chapter two of the book is called search and discern one of the things that that jackie actually talks about in there is like choosing between two good things and we talked touched on that last week a little bit just the fact that you know if it's if it's a good thing and a bad thing you probably don't need to spend time discerning around it right 
Can you break that open a little bit more? Like, is there a time you've had to choose between two good things and what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And again, it's sometimes there's the choices of, you know, Chick-fil-A or um, Del Taco. And that's like, you know, there may be a lot of prayer that goes into it, but probably not. It just, and nor is it the, am I have to discern, oh, I really have to go to the bathroom right now, but should I? No, go. Like, don't, don't hold it. Um, the sermon is really, if, if it's a weighty decision. It's going to take a, a, a significant change in my direction of life, or it's going to significantly affect finances or my family. If I'm a married man, um, it's not just me anymore. If I have a family, it's it's the whole family is kind of on board. You know, I've had friends uh, start out the diaconate process, and they're very candid about like it's the whole family. Like the whole family mm-hmm. has to be on board. It's not just dad decides to do this thing. It's the wives especially need to be part of the process. I remember in my life, what comes to mind, uh, I got into two colleges after high school. One was close to home and one was two hours away. And they were both good schools. And it was one of these like, like, well, praise be to God, I got into two. Uh, I can't go wrong either way. Because really, like, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do either professionally. So it was just kind of the adventure of college. And ultimately decided to go to the University of Florida, the University of Florida, go Gators. And um, I could just see like God did took that and um, blessed it. And I I grew a lot and um, screwed up a lot too. But, you know, that's part of the journey. And I think the same thing would have happened if I would have chosen to stay uh, closer to home. And um, I think I still would have been formed and had different experiences and we have to, again, going back from the stuff from week one, trust that God is on our side. God's not going to abandon us if we mm-hmm. decide a different path. He he delights in our autonomy. He delights in us sometimes using the evidence and saying, okay, I feel like it's going this way, so I'm going to start walking, and I trust you'll correct me. And we'll talk about it later, Tony, about like Revelation, God directly kind of revealing or speaking where he wants us to go. But I think it, it goes back to like God really wants us to use our brains Mm-hmm. Um, a priest I know, he would always, you know, yell at us. Uh, he was a priest professor in the seminary. He said, "God, Jesus came to take away your sin, not your brain." So <laughs> <laughs> I can lean on that. Yeah, and um, we're going to talk about Saint Ignatius and Ignatian discernment a lot today. And Ignatius actually talks about this. I'm actually going to see if I can can find that quote really quickly because it's actually a really amazing thing. And and, and roughly, he's just talking about like not expecting that your spiritual path is going to look like someone else's. Like you can't expect that there is this one way to holiness or just this one way in order to get where God wants you to go. Like God understands our autonomy and desires our autonomy. He gave us our free will because it allows us to freely love him. And part of that process is not just, um, Hey, if you, if you choose this one thing, it's over, right? (laughs) Like if you choose this one thing, you can never come back. There's not this understanding. It's this this kind of continually pursuing good and our lives and letting that that kind of bring us closer to him. I know I know for me when I was much younger in my spiritual life and I had mentioned a deacon who had helped me a lot in understanding this earlier was the simplest but it is a kind of a dangerous prayer to pray if you're just really stuck in discernment is just asking God to say, look, whichever one of these two good things isn't your will, make it impossible. Like, you know, basically take it away. If you feel like you really don't have the spiritual maturity to discern, you can ask God to take away or or make clear that one of the choices is is just not the thing. And, and when I was younger in my spiritual life, like the reality is I would see that happen when I would pray that prayer. And again, like there are some 
really amazing things. I was kind of like, oh, like everyone's not your will. But I was really hoping on the thing that ended up not being possible. And then I remember at one point just, you know, going to God and saying, when we were getting ready to make this trip, kind of trying to like bank on that, like, you know, like, oh, well, like God will just make whatever thing like, you know, impossible. And I went to him in prayer and he was just like, no, (laughs) your guy put you on your feet. You can run. Like, I mean, like, I mean, that was the image I continually got from him was like, you're not a little boy. Uh, You're not a spiritual baby. Um, you can do this. You can discern this. You can pursue this and figure out what my will is for you, but also what will make you happiest and what will help you thrive. Um, Because God was going to bring good out of it no matter what. And so there just wasn't wasn't a concern there. So um, let's get into some of the specifics, though. So you talk a lot about Ignatian discernment through this whole section of the book, which you know, lots of people have different opinions about the modern Jesuits. There's a lot of different things that that go along with that. But the reality is Ignatian spirituality is one of the most influential forms of spirituality within the church. It's one of the four like major schools of spirituality within the church. There's there's plenty of smaller ones also too. And I it just it's so important and it's one of the most impactful things I've seen when I work with young adults or with youth today, teaching them the basic form of the examine and teaching them some of the basic tools for spiritual discernment uh, within the Ignatian model has really broken in and through um, in a lot of young people's lives as a way to help them start to understand the movement of God in their life. So can you kind of talk about consolation, desolation, and discernment a little bit? Absolutely. And yeah, in the seminary, I was for diocesan and they treated it like, you know, diocesan priests are kind of the general practitioner, like we don't specialize in any one spirituality. It's really such a hodgepodge. And so they, you know, would have Franciscan presenters, you know, Dominican, old school Jesuits, who I think were, you know, there at Vatican II, like <laughs> talking to us. And it was awesome. And I remember just learning the Ignatian stuff, thinking, oh, my gosh, like this would have helped me out of college so much. Like just I, I felt like I was always at the whim of my emotions as they came and went. And I was a little romantic kid. I, I had my first crush in kindergarten. And so knowing what to do like with your emotions and in the spiritual life and like integrating all of that in the human person just spoke to me so much. And so it was a lot of it that sh- this chapter is really like, man, I wish I would have known this in my early 20s. St. Ignatius really spells out here like the spiritual life, the spiritual life is like a wave, like a wave in the ocean. There's there's the highs, there's the lows. It's always this kind of ebb and flow. Rarely is it stagnant or totally flat. There are those times, but I mean, for now, let's just take consolation, which would be like the high peak of the wave where we're not talking about emotions, we're talking about like in your soul. So in so it's it's all reading this the the spirit, reading what's going on in your soul. So he calls consolation this feeling of closeness to God. You feel clarity, you feel peace, you feel that your favorite song is on the radio and, and the birds are chirping and the weather's great and it's like that momentum is with you. And that's a great place to be. That's a great place to look at things with open eyes, to really look at whatever the decisions are in front of you. Because you see clearly, you feel close to God. This could especially happen maybe after a retreat, if you ever have like a retreat high or that kind of peak experience, that mountaintop transfiguration kind of experience. But then with every high comes a low. And there's a point where Jesus even says to Peter, like, we can't stay up here on the mountain. Like, Peter wants to build tents and let's just stay up here forever. And the reality is we, on this side of heaven, we we don't get to stay on the mountaintop. We have to mm-hmm. go back down. And in the spiritual life, Ignatius calls it desolation, which is this low, which is I feel distant from God. 
I feel like I'm not hearing him in prayer. I'm, I don't feel the love of God. The warm fuzzies are gone. And he said, this can happen for from a couple different things. One could be my own sin. If I've been in habitual sin, mortal sin, and I am per- really distancing myself from God there, you know, I've, I've done it to myself. And I think Jesus, the good doctor, allows us to feel where we're hurting. So hopefully we return back. We get to confession. We get back to rhythm of prayer. Sometimes, so it is It is our own distancing of ourselves. We've stopped praying. We've, we've grown lazy. And so we God allows us to feel the distance here. But then it's also the case that sometimes we're doing everything right. Our prayer routine hasn't changed. We're still leaning in. But then we start to feel a dryness. And as you, you said earlier, it's the adult, you know, I hate to say adulting. Adulting is not a verb, but it's, you know, you are beginning to become an adult in the spiritual life where God's taken the warm fuzzies away. And, and it's this, are you still going to follow me even without the retreat high, even without the warm fuzzy experience? Like, will you still follow me? This is the maturing level. You're leveling up as a Christian. And what's awesome, mm-hmm. I see like certain high schoolers, I see certain like junior seniors that are kind of getting to that point where they've been on a couple of retreats and, and they're doing, trying to do right by God and, and the commandments. And all of a sudden they're like, I just don't feel anything anymore. I'm like, good. <laughs> like, yeah, this, 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 you know, you're, you're checking the boxes over here in your prayer regiment, but God's allowing you to feel this, this kind of ache, this, um, this space here now. And one of the most important things I ever learned, if nothing else, um, is that we should never make a decision in desolation. Mm-hmm. And we, if we feel like we're in that low, we're in that trough, don't make any kind of radical life decision because we can't see clearly either. The, we feel like the storm is blowing around us. I feel anxiety. I feel like I can't see clearly. Do, do not pull the trigger on any big life decision. This is when you want to lay low, wait out the storm, get back into like, again, stay close to God and the commandments and confession. It doesn't last forever. You know, there's always, you know, the ebb and flow. And Ignatius even says, when you're in the high in consolation, you need to stock up the graces. You need to prepare for mm-hmm. the low that is going to come. Not that the low will ever come, but like it's coming. So just be aware. And that's not to be depressed. That's just to say it's reality. It's coming. And then when you're in the low to say, okay, there, I will come out of this eventually. And yeah, there's, there's more to be said, but I, I'm just going to hit pause there. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, I love your also differentiation between different types of desolation because e- even Ignatius touches on it, but actually um, St. John of the Cross and the Carmelite tradition and the dark night of the soul, they actually, they actually differentiate between a dark night of the senses. I can no longer sense the closeness of God, right? Right. Not that God isn't close. I understand him to be close. I believe him to be close. I know him to be close. Like I, 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 I have a, I have somewhat of a sense that God's there, but I don't feel him in the way that I used to, as opposed to the dark night of the spirit, which is, what we would think about is the other type of desolation of like, yeah, like I'm lost, you know, <laughs> like I have, I am losing my faith. It is low and I may actually be distant from God or you may not be right. It may just be the ultimate reaching of the highest levels of spiritual maturity and God pushing you through. Um, and, uh, you know, like again, you, you talk about the book and Ignatius touches on consistently, like that is actually that kind of purgation, that kind of, um, yeah. that kind of frustration that's actually God pushing us to holiness. Like that wouldn't happen if God didn't want us to be saints. We wouldn't experience that type of desolation. If, if we, he wanted us to be babies and constantly be 
dependent on him in an unhealthy way, not in the good way we're supposed to be dependent on him, uh, we would just be in consolation all the time, right? We would be continually like just totally blissed out on, on who God is, but he wants us to grow. He wants us to achieve maturity spiritually. He wants us to achieve sainthood. It's part of the process of how God brings us uh, to being the saints that he's called us to be and to divinizing us. Like it is absolutely a huge part um, of that process. You also, but I don't know, I think you may have been naming somebody else in the book. One of the lines that really struck me was um, Jesus leads the devil drives. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, just a short little pithy statement that um, if you feel, you said earlier about like the doors closing, like if we allow Jesus to lead us, he will do so. And it'll be a, a gentle way of, again, opportunities coming or closing, maybe again, rejection letters coming, which can be a sign of like, hey, that that's something to, maybe I should go a different avenue. Um, again, there's people that have had piles of rejection letters that have, you know, taken that as a challenge to get their music out or to get into whatever field or business or whatever, like kudos to that. I think it's just being able to read like, Okay, Lord, where are you leading me? If I feel driven, though, if I feel like an anxiety, like I have to make this decision right now, if um, it's consuming all my thoughts to really a, a place of not giving me peace, if I feel driven, not in a good, motivated, like, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's some kind of like this pent up, I have to decide this now. That's, a priest told me, that's the devil driving you to make this rash, not planned out decision. Again. If you feel frantic, like if you feel like I ha like not like I'm passionate about this, I want this, right? But I'm frantic, like I have to do this, like yeah, that's a totally different type of conviction. Yeah, and that's where your I've I've heard it said too when when the devil can't use your weaknesses anymore, he'll use your strengths. Mm -hmm. So maybe you are ambitious, maybe you are driven and motivated, awesome, and the devil will use that imprudently. He will use that against you to make rash decisions that will harm you or your family. Um, if you're a compassionate person uh, and you're not on guard, the devil can use that to get you overly attached to certain relationships you shouldn't be in. Like again, I'm, I'm married and I know that there's certain boundaries I have to keep. And out of compassion, especially in ministry, sometimes you wanna help people, you wanna be, be there for people, but you have to be aware of like, people will take can take advantage of you or again, lines get blurred your empathy and your compassion can be your downfall if you're not careful. So mm -hmm. to allow God to lead you to be aware of you feel yeah, frantic, that's, you know, Socrates says, know thyself. And so that's one of the most important things in the spiritual life here is know how you're wired. Know, um, again, to learn what's going on inside of you. When I think about, again, making a career change or taking this other job, do I get excited? Am I brought to a place of peace? Versus am I brought to a place of, uh, again, anxiety or, or fear and um, or I feel pressured to do this thing, even though I don't want to like that. That's what it means about being able to read the spirits that uh, are, you know, day in, day out happening. Yeah. And, and when we say spirits, I do want to clarify, like for a lot of people living that there, there is a lot to unpack in just that term. Oh, yeah. um, like we want to clarify that as Christians, we believe in both um, what we would oftentimes refer to as supernatural, but angelic, demonic, and human spirits. Like that we may have used the term spirit to refer to something happening in ourselves, right? We may have a spirit of discouragement or a spirit of woundedness or a spirit of passion about something, right? Those spirits can be positive uh, or negative when they're human. Um, 
there's also supernatural spirits, right? There's an angelic spirit, there's godly spirits, there's demonic spirits. So Ignatius uses that term broadly to refer to a force or an, a movement that is unseeable but present within your life. And that doesn't exclude um, the supernatural, the the demonic or the, the divine, but it also includes the human as well. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not saying that just because you're feeling this way or just because you're dealing with these things, there's a demon present, but they're also not, not in any way, shape or form that's saying you shouldn't be aware of the way that the devil may be trying to work in and work against you. And, and I think Ignatius's language makes that that's so clear. Um, and so just it, just to be aware of those things. And that's one of the reasons why we started out with, um, and, and why the book starts out with knowing yourself, knowing knowing your heart, knowing your identity before you try to go forward. So I would say if, you, if you've been doing the exercises from last week, those practical takeaways, and this seems like a big step forward to you, it's okay to sit with that for a little while. Like we said, you know, discernment is a long process. And if you're just spending more time getting to know yourself, spending time focusing on understanding your interior reality so that you can start to see where is consolation and desolation happening, that is fine. It's almost like once you start stop trying to manhandle the plan, God will unfold it. Like once mm -hmm. we stop grasping and trying to maybe force something to happen, that's when God's free to move. And I've seen that in my own life where like I just surrendered. I just even after the seminary, like my second year was a year of a lot of desolation, a lot of like, I'm just, I'm not hearing you at all in prayer, Lord. I feel like I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. It was rough. And yet I, 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 I was there and it was a profound year of growth that I didn't know at the time. You're kind of like when you're in it, in that trough of desolation, you're just like, this sucks. I can look back on it now and be like, man, I grew so much that year, mm -hmm. but I, I wasn't allowed to know it. You know what I mean? Like otherwise, I it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been that way. And the book art, like this book, is in no way a complete primer. I mean, this it, it is a primer on Ignatian spirituality because I wanted that. It helped me so much, but it's in no way exhaustive. And at the back of the book, we list a whole bunch of other resources you can go to if you really want to dive full deep into Saint Ignatius and his discernment of spirits. You said the examine too, which is awesome, like a thing to do at the end of the day and just recount your day beginning to end, think about where you felt close to God, where you, you know, made mistakes or can do need to improve. Again, the self-examined life is not worth living. Absolutely. So um, the one other thing we wanted to talk about, it's not, it's not in the book, but Bobby and I were, were talking about it. It's something that I've experienced a, a, a good amount in my life. And it's, it shouldn't necessarily be an expectation, like consolation and desolation help us to know God's will through both the natural and supernatural circumstances in our life. But every once in a while, we'll actually get an opportunity to experience revelation, which um, this is not saying, hey, you've re received a new part of the deposit of faith, right? Like you don't get to take your revelation from God and say the church needs to wrap itself around that. We would actually know that that would not be revelation from God if that was the tact that you decided to take. Uh, what we mean about that is private revelation, which is non-binding for anybody besides you. Uh, and that is saying, hey, like sometimes God will just be very clear with us what he wants. So as we were looking at at me quitting two jobs, leaving a parish we loved, picking up our family, which is full of teenagers, and so it's not an ideal time to move, and moving across the country to Philadelphia to live a, a missionary life and to love our neighbors and care for them. It's a, it's a new prog process we just embarked on, um, and it's what we're all supposed to do, but we just wanted to be really intentional about it. Um, you know, I went through this process, so I went through this process, and I didn't say, God, just show me, right? Like I, I mentioned, 
like I did ask God, hey, maybe if you did that thing, we just make one of these things not possible. And he was just continually like, no. But I also started looking at, you know, what's the consolation? Like, why do I know this is good? How my experience affirmation around this as I tell people, as I share it with people, as I start to take those small steps to say, maybe, you know, maybe I want to do this. And the initial impetus came through a couple kind of revelatory moments. One was a, a conversation with my friend, Sarah Kazmarek. The other one was a conversation with a guy I just met named Santonio Hill. Uh, and both of them were about kind of shifting in my life and me saying, what if, what if I just did one thing? What if I didn't work three and a half jobs? You know, what if I just was going to do one thing to really serve the Lord? Uh, what would that be? And my response when Sarah asked me that question was something I had never said before. And I'll, I'll drop a link to a podcast where I talk about that uh, down in the show notes. And then Santonio two years later was like, you should move to Philly. And I laughed in his face. And then two hours later, God was like, you should think about working with these people in Philly a lot more intentionally. There was this moment of revelation. He didn't say like move to Philly, you know, but there was this moment of like, you should work more with these people, the, the Anthem, the youth ministry office here um, in Philadelphia. And so I started a conversation with my wife, this mutual discernment process, um, because we were getting a lot of consolation, a lot of a lot of spiritual affirmation around that. Every time we we spent time looking at it, working on it, there was a lot of of energy around it. It was that sense of peace and joy that came in. I wasn't getting any desolation though when I prayed about it. I wasn't like getting enough desolation to know like why should I move? Like why should I move away from where I'm at, where I know I'm happy for this thing that might be happy, make me happy? You know that might be good for our family. And and it was two goods. It was an amazing parish that really loved our family, or it was an ability to focus more on our family, um, not have ministry be a distraction, but be something we did together, and um, and be able to pursue something that God laid on my heart a couple of years before that. And so um, I did go to a conference that where there was a lot of prayer, and, and they were praying specifically about if you're somebody who feels like you should be on the front lines of evangelization. Um, we just want you to raise your hand in the air. People are going to come pray over you. Obviously, this was not a Catholic event because we don't say things like that That's uh, <laughs> at our conferences. We should. We just don't. And so people came and they prayed over me. It was an ecumenical uh, prayer service. And I don't get a lot of visions. Like, I don't see a lot of imagery when I when I pray. That's just not. Like, even when I, even when God reveals something to me, it's usually in, like, my Vox Mentis, my mental voice. And I got this clear picture of just this very triumphant vision of Christ, which again is not the vision that I usually have of Jesus. So I know this isn't just like me thinking about Jesus, right? This is a, a picture of Jesus in heaven, in golden robes, with a crown. And then it zoomed in on this, this one jewel in the top like left-hand side of his crown, um, the, his actual right side, I guess, my left side. And, and that crown then turned into, that jewel just turned into this understanding of God telling me like, there is a place for you. We have prepared a place for you. Like I have set aside a place for you in a neighborhood, in a community where you can go and do this work of just loving your neighbor. And then it was accompanied by this vision of a house at the end of a street. We looked for a house forever. Like when we were coming to Philly, we, we actually got here. I just lived with my sister-in-law for like six weeks. And then eventually we came to this house and we're like driving up the street. And I'm like, well, this doesn't look like the place, but this is kind of in like the area of the city where I thought it would be. It looks, it looks kind of similar, but it's not the same. And then like we were driving around the neighborhood and as we came up the house, like the other way, right? As we're coming up the, up the street from the other direction, like all of a sudden it snaps into focus. Like this is, 
you know, not not perfect for perfect detail for detail, but this is the place that God was showing us that he had kind of prepared for us as a place where we could come and do ministry. And that that stuff happens, but it happens in the context of other discernment. I also did get desolation eventually that was like, tell your pastor you're quitting, um, like just move your family, like it's, it's time. Uh, but there was this revelation that came along with that. And even though I received that image eight months before, I knew I didn't really know it was revelation other than internally until it was backed up by the external facts of arriving here, seeing the house and realizing this was the place. And so that comes from a sense of openness that doesn't happen for everybody. We should not expect that all the time. Like, I don't, I don't get that all the time when I'm like, God, you know, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? He doesn't always just tell me he, he oftentimes will, um, will, you know, just use those, those messages of consolation and desolation. And on a day-to-day level, when you're in that constant process of discerning, that's what you should really depend on while being open to the fact that God may want to act supernaturally in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And praise God for all that happening. I have two quick accounts, and one was when I was considering doing the consecration to Mary, the St. Louis de Montfort method of you know giving your life to Mary. It kind of scared me at first. I'm like, no, no, I, I pushed it away in college because I thought it meant I had to be a priest. And then learning more <laughs> about it, I'm like, okay. And I still put it off. And um, lo and behold, it was my second year in the seminary, and I wasn't telling anyone I was going to do it. I just I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to do it. And then this girl, Sarah, comes up to me out of nowhere. And I, you know, we just met that week for this uh, TOB retreat. And she's like, I don't know why, but I feel like you're supposed to have this. And she shoves in, into my hand the little brown Consecration to Mary book. And it was like, I'm looking up like, all right, God, I get it. I get it. And, you know, in that moment, you'd be like, oh, that's just a coincidence. It's like, okay, okay <laughs> fine. Like, God will use other people loud and clear sometimes. And I think I absolutely believe God has a sense of humor. My friend Eddie tells yeah. the story of, you know, he's struggling with chastity and, you know, he's, you know, in in the thick of it and really like, oh, I should, I just, I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to fall to lust right now. Send me a sign or something. And a friend will text him at that moment. And he's like, no, no, that can't be it. So you got to send me something else, Lord. And you know, <laughs> a little like ping, like notification comes down. He's like, no, it couldn't be that. Like, you know, last week you prayed the Lord make me chase, but not yet. There's the mm-hmm. resolve to follow through. Like even when we're praying for, give me a, a sign or something to move in the directions, even when God provides it, sometimes we're still afraid or we're still like, no, no, not yet, not yet. So the, right. the humility to receive it and say, okay. Let's go. Yeah. And don't, don't, again, don't expect revelation right, right. to mean a, a voice from the heavens or miraculous images or being swept into a scene out of scripture or things like that. Revelation uh, oftentimes looks like God working through other people around you. So the, the goal is to be open to the will of God, right? And knowing that that comes from the normal circumstances, which, which the examine is an excellent way to kind of ga- dive into those, as well as the supernatural reality that, that really suffuses everything in that process and goes so much deeper down. So just be aware of both of those things. So this week we want to look at um, our saint of the week, which is Saint Ignatius. And since uh, Bobby just wrote a whole chapter in a book about that, I was going to let him kind of lead into it. And we've got a couple quotes from him about that. So Bobby, who was Saint Ignatius? Saint Ignatius of Loyola was uh, a dude in the 1500s who was a soldier, very vain man, cared about his prestige, his, his image, all that. He ends up getting his leg shattered by a cannonball in battle. And as he's recovering in a hospital, they don't have any of the books he would usually read, any kind of night tales or of chivalry or exploration or whatever. 
what there was were uh, the life of Christ and some books of the saints. So he begrudgingly starts reading and he finds himself just floored and really falls in love with, with Christ through this awful experience that happens to his body and real, realizes, I feel this thing, and he calls it consolation. When I read the lives of these saints and what they do and how they give up their lives for this Jesus, when I think about going back to my worldly ways, I feel an emptiness. And, and this he calls desolation. So here, he on the hospital bed, he's formulating what becomes these great spiritual works. So he um, you know, is able to leave the hospital, devotes himself to the Lord and, and studies, and ends up um, forming a band of men around him to form the Society of Jesus, also called the Jesuits. Um, so that's when that starts out. And they send missionaries around the world. And um, yeah, like he, he, was a, he was a boss. Like he was, yeah, he was a dude for sure. And really like a mystic, like he was, was deep in his prayer and coined that, that famous motto, um, AMDG, ad majorum, Dei gloriam, all for the greater glory of God. And that's how he mm-hmm. lived his life. Yeah, I know. And it's, he's, a, he's such an influence in Western culture. And a lot of people don't realize like modern 12 step programs are based off of Ignatian spirituality. Most of our reflective processes in the West have their roots in a lot of different Ignatius spirituality and Ignatian temperament. And again, the modern Jesuits, depending on what part of the world you're in, may be very similar to and very close to what Ignatius modeled, and they may be very far away. So don't don't let your experience of Jesuits, unless it's really positive, uh, color your your love of this absolutely amazing uh, saint. And I say that as somebody who spent time in the Pacific Northwest, where Jesuit spirituality is all over the place, uh, but Ignatian spirituality is a little bit more rare. And so uh, a couple quotes from Ignatius, uh, one from the book that I just loved. I call it consolation when some interior movement of the soul is caused, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And when it can can in consequence, um, and when it can in consequence, love no created thing on the faith of the earth itself, but the creator of them all. That basically like these things happen in our life and they and they just drive us to love God more. Um, the other one is act as if everything depended on you. Trust as if everything depended on God. Um, and I think you know, we talked last week about not the need to step out in faith, the need to actually be active, to not just keep everything in our head. And I think Ignatius modeled that so well. And then to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for rewards, save that we know, save that knowing what we do is thy will, O Lord. Um, basically, that above all things, uh, we just need to be seeking the will of God. And that's what discernment is all about. That's what the whole process engages in. And so um, we're going to be um, back in just one second with our kind of practical takeaways uh, from this week. So I want to thank Ascension Press especially for being one of our sponsors and partners for this year's Nazarite Challenge. Uh, Remember, you can actually get a discount on the copy of the book that we are talking about, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, written by Bobby Jackie and Father Mike Schmitz. Um, you can get a discount on that by using the code NOSHAVE. Um, it's, it's, there's a link down in the show notes. But I also want to talk to you about the Great Adventure Bible. Now, when I was teaching RCIA at a parish, one of the things that a lot of the candidates I was working with, and a lot of them were people who had been going to a Catholic church for a while or who grew up Catholic and had gotten some formation, and some of them were coming into the church fresh, something they all struggled with was understanding the overall narrative, the kind of the sweeping big picture 
of scripture. And every time we went to go break this down, whether it was in RCIA, adult formation classes with people, they always struggled to see how the different parts of the Bible fit together. And that's one of the things that I love about the Great Adventure Bible and all the Great Adventure resources by Jeff Cavins and Ascension Press. I've been using them forever. And when the Great Adventure Bible came out, I was incredibly excited to just dive into it. Now, I have my Bible that I've used forever that I'm emotionally connected to that has the Great Adventure tabs in it, but the Great Adventure Bible took all of the things that I love about the tabs, other resources, Jeff Cavins and Dr. Mayor Healy and other people at Ascension Press and what that project had done, and it took them all and it built a Bible based on the things that help Catholics engage scripture and the way that they're supposed to and, and really get the most out of the story of scripture. It teaches how everything in the Bible ties together. It gets rid of the complexity of reading the Bible without diminishing any of the deep, rich beauty of what scripture is. And it's the only Bible that incorporates all of the things um, from Jeff Caven's revolutionary Bible timeline learning system, which is like color-coded for easy references, uh, detailed charts, full maps, full colors, key event callouts, and articles that help you understanding, again, that overarching story important covenants, and how the other supporting books fit into each of those. In addition to the discount code for the Nazarite Challenge, uh, no shave for that book from Bobby. If you're going to go ahead and get on there and get that book, I'd encourage you to check out The Great Adventure Bible and use the discount code BIBLE15 for a very, very rare, like very not very oftenly given out, discount of 15% and use the discount code Bible 15. So it's no shave for the discount on Bobby's book and Bible 15 for a discount on the Bible. If you don't have a good Catholic Bible, you need to have one right now. When I buy a Bible for someone, uh, my backup Bible, my secondary Bible, because sometimes I can't find my my favorite prized uh, Bible because I was traveling and it's in luggage and I, I'm back at home and haven't unpacked yet, is the Great Adventure Bible. And I really want to encourage you guys to go out there. And if you don't have one, because ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ and Ascension Press and Jeff Caven's Adventure Bible have made it incredibly easy for you to dive into the adventure of scripture in the adventure of your own life. All right, so our three practical tips on kind of how you can live this out. Um, in the book, Bobby, you mentioned Psalm 46. Um, you mentioned a specific verse out of there. It's just about just being still and knowing that God is there. And, and, and the 46th Psalm is where that comes from. Uh, but the whole rest of it is not this calm, peaceful thing. It's not like as you sit by the tranquil waters and the deer gently laps in the stream, uh, you know, and you've got your favorite jam on, be still and know that God is there. It's as the mountains shake and as spears crash against shields and all these traumatic things are happening around you, be still and know that God is there. So I just want to encourage people to take 30 minutes sometime this week and just spend uh, time with that psalm. If you know how to do Lexio, do Lexio. If not, just read through it and then journal a little bit. Read through it and read the footnotes. Whatever you want to do, spend time trying to understand what that is. But spend some of that 30 minutes not just reading or doing, but actually doing what it asks. And that's just being still and being present to who God is. So, Bobby, what's one of the ones that you want to offer up as a practical tip? Yeah. And, and on that Psalm 46 note, it says Selah, S-E-L-A-H, at different breaks. And it's that means rest in Hebrew. So it's not a psalm you want to power through. It's actually telling you to rest, like pause allow it to breathe consider where in your own life the earth is shaking the mountains are are quaking like where is there unrest and yet where is the consolation and peace of the lord um mm. second practical tip again from that prayer of saint ignatius to give and not count the cost to actually do that to give <laughs> and not count the cost like to do something for a coworker or a family member or friend and not be like 
oh, you owe me one. Or to to think like to expect a reward or expect like, oh, I'm going to do this so I'm seen and people think I'm an awesome guy. Really like give and don't count the cost. If it's giving to the poor without having to scrutinize what may or may not be in your bank account, really like just do it. Like I think we overcomplicate the Christian life sometimes. Like give. <laughs> that creates detachment in our life. And that's so important. Like it's not a lack of compassion. It's the I do good and I love others because that's what that's what glorifies God, not so that they'll do something else for me. Yeah, so I, I love that. Um, the third one is actually a blend because I wrote it down. Bobby really came up with it. Uh, it's, it's from the book, and that's identify an uncomfortable question that you're facing right now, something you want to discern around. Uh, write it down, like pull out a piece of paper, physically write it down. And underneath that, I want you to make two columns. And one, I want you to to list the temptations you might be experiencing around this question, right? Um, and leave a little space between each one, because in the other column, I want you to write down a plan uh, for how you can face each of these temptations head on, to go directly at those temptations uh, or to move directly at that question itself. How can you work uh, towards addressing it? Not to just kind of say, hey, um, I'm going to I'm gonna just wait till God solves this or I'm going to kind of work on this, but not really. Or I'm just going to think about it, but to actually step out in faith. What are ways that you can actively do that uh, on the other side of that? So you're going to write it down two columns, temptations on one side, ways that you can push back directly against it on the other. Bobby, anything else? That's it, man. All right. So um, so next time, we're actually going to be talking about silence um, as an important part of this process. I know we've touched on it a little bit. Obviously, I think you can see the way that Bobby wrote the book, the way we're structuring this content. It flows from week to week. The first week, understanding your identity is important to the second week. This week, we already touched on silence, and that's going to be important as we go into next week. So again, looking at, at going through the psalm, Using those pause moments to actually have times where you're still, where you're silent, is going to set you up to have some better context for next week's uh, conversation. And I think we're going to have a special guest with us on that. Bobby, who is that guest? Uh, we should be having my wife, Jackie from right. Angel Up. And I apologize for bringing a woman into this so far only uh, men's club. Forgive me, men. It's true. I, I it's told, true. I did tell her she had to, to use the beard balm. Um, <laughs> It's true. I'm actually super excited. Jackie is uh, is one of my favorite people. The first time I ever got to hang out with Jackie and Bobby, it was at a bar. But the second time on that same event that we hung out, it was in a ball pit. Uh, and we just oh, had yeah. a absolutely phenomenal conversation I for, I in a ball that. pit. Yeah, that was like that 30 was, minutes. Yeah, that was my getting to know Tony it was having trying to have some serious like sharing of the heart conversation in a ball pit. But that's the best place to have serious sharing of the heart conversations. And so um, uh, we also talked, I think, about what it would be like to birth a child in a ball pit. And then we all agreed that as disgusting as ball pits already are, there was nothing possibly more disgusting uh, than that. And so you, you, um, couldn't be, you, you wouldn't be able to find the kid. That's right. So you can find me online. Uh, I'm Tony Vicenda. Tony at any of the URLs I'm associated with um, is a great way to email me. Um, Tony Vicenda on Facebook. Um, and we'll put some links down below for that. Uh, Bobby, where can they find you at? Um, on Instagram, we have Bobby and, and Jackie.com as well as our uh, YouTube Ascension Presents channel. We got videos every week. So thanks again, Tony. Yeah. 
No problem. And I want to thank um, Ascension Press, uh, Catholic Blomka, the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit, and Project YM for underwriting the Nazarite Challenge, sponsoring it in different ways, whether that's with their time, their effort financially. Um, if you want to help support this, uh, supporting Catholic Blomko is the number one best way to do that. You can find out more at catholicbomb.co. But um, I really encourage you guys. I know we're, we're playing a clip for the Adventure Bible. Um, I have used the Adventure Bible tabs for years, um, and I do have, it is my backup Bible. Like I have my Bible, I've always used for teaching as my main Bible. It's got the Adventure Timeline tabs in it, uh, but the Adventure Timeline Bible is actually my backup Bible whenever my normal Bible has been absconded with by one of my kids or I can't find it somewhere. It's the one that I uh, love to go to and use because it's just really super easy to navigate, really helpful, really prayerful. So check that out also. Until next time, gentlemen, stop shaving and start praying.